This is Care Less, Do More. What's up, everybody? My name is Michelle Parker, your host for Care Less, Do More. Super fired up on today's episode. It was really enjoyable to sit down with none other than Scott Gaffney here in our hometown of Lake Tahoe. Scott is an old friend, someone who I credit discovering me as a film athlete while I was mostly known as a park skier back in my competitive days, and he ultimately opened up the door with Matchstick Productions. And I know that he's done that for so many other professional skiers. He loves making ski films more than anyone I've ever met. He's our modern day Greg Stump and has played such a pivotal role in the ski industry for a very, very long time. Before we dive into this conversation, I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, Peak Skis. I had this incredible phone call with Bodie Miller the other day and when we hung up, I was so hyped on the way that he thinks when it comes to creating skis. He's like the Formula One driver who builds his own car and wins the race. His mind works differently than most people I've ever met. With his background in racing and technical skiing, it's no wonder that with the engineering mindset mixed with athleticism, he wanted to create a ski that exemplifies innovation and ultimately makes skiing more fun and enjoyable for everyone. We spoke about mounting points and how crucial it is to figure that out for yourself. Weight, foot length, and how much power you're putting into the ski totally determines each of our own mounting points. And this upcoming week, I'm diving into each and every pair of peak skis that's on the market. So far, I've grown most fond of the 104s, which is a slightly skinnier powder ski than what I'm normally gravitating towards, especially here in Lake Tahoe. But with the keyhole technology that's in these skis, the tips float in deep snow, and it's made this ski my daily driver. From the groomers to the backcountry, I've been most impressed with how these skis simultaneously hold a solid and smooth edge while also creating float on top of the, geez, I don't even know, six plus feet that we just received here at home. It's been a really fun experience working with Bodie and the rest of the team at Peak Skis and huge thank you for supporting this podcast. Today, I am really excited to be sitting next to Scott Gaffney. Scott has become a fixture in the ski world. He's been making ski films for 31 years, which has amounted to 34 films in total, 25 of which were with Matchstick Productions. He has a knack for finding talent in the ski world and bringing those athletes into the industry by way of filming them and giving them their first big break. A total ace behind the camera, but also important to mention that he himself can ski incredibly well. In fact, every year, for as long as I can remember, Scott has released his own ski segment featuring many of the classic lines and airs at Palisades, typically always a solid backflip or a few thrown in there, and with his classic editing style that we've all grown to love and look forward to every single fall with the MSP movie going on tour. Gaffney has always been one of my all-time favorite cinematographers to be in the mountains with because being a skier himself, he's the best sounding board when you're looking for lines and figuring things out. This is actually a surprisingly rare phenomenon. And additionally, Scott loves and adores the act of skiing more than most, more than almost anyone I know. In his own words, he's been living the dream annually traveling the world with phenomenal people and documenting some of the most iconic moments in our sport. However, that comes with some serious sacrifice, like his summers, <laughs> spending them all in the editing cave. Scott recently announced his departure from Matchstick Productions, and it is an absolute honor to get to sit down with him and talk about skiing, history, and what's next. Scott, welcome to Care Less, Do More. 
Thank you very much, Michelle. I think <laughs> was, I need to let my head deflate after you've just blown it up pretty big. Well, there's so much more I could say because I have so much love for you and like my career mirroring Matchstick and being together so often in the mountains. Like it truly being with you out there like elevated me as a skier. And I mean that so much. Well, you did the same to my cinematography <laughs> and filmmaking. I mean, when you got someone who's so good in front of the lens and knows what they're doing, total Aww. pro. Oh, but um, just to rewind it a little bit, like where did this all start? Where were you born? I was born in New Britain, Connecticut, but didn't live any period of time there. I think a couple of years, then moved to the Adirondacks in New York State and uh, grew up grew up right around there, a little place called Tupper Lake and a ski area called Ski Big Tupper, which ski was our home spot, which was an awesome place. Then moved to Canton, New York, which was just like an hour north, right up by the Canadian border. Okay. Did you go to Canada much? Uh, I worked a lot of summers in Canada as a raft guide and uh, kayak instructor. And uh, yeah, so I, I spent quite a bit of time there, but it was all kind of flat land around where we were. So we gravitated toward the Adirondacks as much as possible because that's, that's where the pretty cool mountains were for that part of the world. All right. So you learned how to ski in New York and then what brought you out West? I've studied skiing or I studied uh, film production uh, in college at Ithaca College in Southern New York, Southern for me, people would call it upstate. But my brother Rob moved to Boulder uh, for going to school at CU when I was a junior. And he was skiing so much and sending me postcards all the time. And and I was just like, I've got to go skiing after college. And and I saw Blizzard of Oz, like the, cl- the cliched story of, guy walks into another guy's room and they watch sit down and watch blizzard of oz and i walked out that night and i was like my life is going in a different direction no way and i didn't know what i was going to do with my film production uh degree but i just knew i was going to go skiing yeah and so i moved to colorado at first bought a camera along the way had no idea what i was going to do i'd taken a wemt class and was hoping to uh, patrol my first year in Colorado. I moved to Keystone, got in the employee housing there. Uh, didn't know what I was going to do. I broke my collarbone, like my third day skiing. Oh no. And so I was a lift op that entire year. I was hoping to patrol, but I was lift op. The next year I patrolled at Keystone and was skiing Arapahoe Basin every day and just started filming with the locals there. And one thing led to another. Yeah. And then were you making films out of like, and, and I was, as I was a, I was making my own films. I, uh, would go back to the rafting company that I grew up, uh, working at in Ontario, uh, on the, along the Ottawa river a place called wilderness tours. And they had a little editing suite there. And I, I think I, that's where I edited my first movie was at this rafting company through the summer. And basically I had to work around their schedule, but I was, editing way at nights and yeah put a movie together called adrenaline descents adrenaline descents in you 1992 heard it first. 1992 yeah that's awesome adrenaline descents. so that was your first ski film where can we find this film you can't <laughs> it's on vhs and it's never going to be digitized yeah fair, fair. it's one of those things that like i was stoked with it at the time and everyone like a lot of people who did see it talk about it and they're like where can i i want to see that again it's like no People don't need to see that movie. You know, it's so it's so raw and uh, kind of amateurish, Yeah, I would say. And so that's in Colorado. That was in Colorado. And I lived in Colorado for a couple of years. I patrolled the next year 
after my lift op year uh, at Keystone and put another movie together. And then in 93, 94, moved to Tahoe. And were you chasing Rob out here? Rob, I, I waited until Rob finished uh, college at CU and we both moved together. Yeah, out, out this way. Awesome. And we just, I mean, at the time, Tahoe was an absolute epicenter. You know, so many stars here that we just saw the blue skies and the great snow and the clean granite cliffs. And as far as what we were doing, it seemed like the thing to do. And, and we spent a lot of time in Colorado skiing scared. You know, it, it's got, yeah. it's just got a scarier snowpack and you had to probe every landing of every cliff you wanted to hit. And totally. And yeah, there are just a lot of things that like, there are a lot of fun ski areas to ski there, but the snowpack was not doing it for me. Yeah. So you move out to Tahoe and who were some of those pros, established pros that you were looking up to at that time? Well, only old people will know them by this point because that was so long ago. But uh, John Treeman and Dean Conway and the Delorier brothers and, of course, Scott Schmidt was here and Kevin Andrews and Alan Riley. And uh, there's, there was just a slew of people. This is like there were so many Powder magazine covers shot here. Like Hank DeVray just had cover after cover. And it just looked like the place to be. Yeah. And it was seemed like the epicenter and like all these old stump movies where they filmed here in Tahoe too. At that yes. Time? Yeah. A lot of the, the stump movies really encouraged me between Blizzard of Oz and then License to Thrill was like an entire Palisade Tahoe. Yeah. You know, just a showcase of everything that could go on there. And that was a film in an off, off, absolutely awful year. And it still looked insane. Yeah. It's like, well, if they're having that good of a time on bad snow, yeah. I'm going to have a good time there. So you like saw Blizzard of Oz and then full ski dream. You're like, okay, my life's changing. I'm doing this. Yeah. You left school. You graduated college? I graduated, yeah. Yep. Got your degree in film studies and then took it from there. And you were like, I'm making movies. What did you do immediately when you came to Tahoe? Uh, I worked on race services. We okay. basically set up set up uh, race courses and netting on the long, along the side of the race courses and tore them down. Yeah. And I didn't work that much. I think, I don't know how I was, li we were living in like this smallest little place. Like I was sharing a room with my brother. And basically if I dove into my part of the room, I would land on my bed because a single mattress took up the entire room. Yeah. So like I was saving money and I didn't work that much. And I filmed just as, just as much as I could. And that was working toward a movie called Walls of Freedom, which I released in 95. And that one's a classic. I think oh, it's that safe was, was kind of got things kicking off for me. Yeah. Like and this was, was you and your brother or was it just you filming and making the movie? Just me yeah. filming. Rob was skiing and we, you know, Shane was obviously uh, coming into his own at that point in time and he was our kind of growing into our best buddy at the time. Yeah. And he opened a lot of doors for us. But, you know, it was a whole different era then. It was, it was kind of crazy because I came out to... Tahoe, wondering, you know, how am I going to meet people or whatever, but there weren't many camera guys out there. You'd see Tom Day out there with a film camera once in a while. Right. And then there was me. And so these good skiers kind of gravitated towards the camera. It wasn't necessarily what I was doing. They, didn't, they had no idea what I was capable egotistical. of. Yeah. But <laughs> egotistical, but looking for an outlet. Yeah. You yeah. know, you didn't have the outlet that people have these days. Totally. Um, so if you wanted to showcase yourself, you found a cameraman. And if they're making a movie, you've got a chance to show, show yourself. Yeah. 
And so it was really good timing. Like, I don't know how I'd survive in this day and age if you were just coming up and, and trying to make a name for yourself because you've got to be a lot more aggressive. At that time, I just had a camera and like, <laughs> Mic check. Mic check. People just started flocking. Yeah. Yeah. So it was and, kind of. And I was like, shooting with my heroes right away. Like John Treeman had just set the world record cliff jump. And we were like, oh my God, John Treeman. And then there, like I move into Tahoe and I'm filming with him in my first year. That's like, wild. What? This is insane. So kind of a mixture of right place, right time, fueled by passion. For sure. For yeah. sure. And you might not have seen it because you grew up with it all. Like it, it was kind of standard to be in the KT line and see you're the superhero now and people are seeing you out there and, but you grew up seeing all these other people, you know, it's the amount of talent that's here and the amount of pros that are here yep. that people look up to is, is pretty insane compared to just about anywhere else you'll ski. I mean, I think I would credit a lot of my, my success and drive and energy towards that career path by way of just like, yeah, being in the lift line and seeing you and Shane and Ingrid and JT and CR and whoever else was in town, like it, people continuously flocked here. And I would always look at you guys and be like, okay, I'm just going to chase them down the mountains or watching you film from afar. Like you were a part of that pack to me as well. Well, that's, I mean, <laughs> that could morph into how I first met you. I don't know if you want to go there right now. Yeah, but might as well. It was you tell rad. The story I mean, that was eyes. you know that's jumping up a decade. I want to say it was somewhere around two thousand six or something. How old were you in two thousand six? I think I was like fifteen or sixteen when I, we met. I think I met you when you were sixteen. Yeah. And I remember going up KT. You had you'd started making a name for yourself in park. Yep. Um, but I can remember riding up the chair. I think I was with JT and Greg Strokes from Oakley, and saw this girl coming down with your ponytails just flying around going into the fingers below the chair and there weren't a whole lot of women going into the fingers that day and age not even now so much you know it's not it's not a very common occurrence and there you were ripping on down in like going into the ice fall line I was like who is that JT said that's Michelle Parker and later that day we met up and I remember we just had our little rat pack skiing around, but you were a little 16-year-old. I was, what, 30-something? Yeah. And I knew the mountain really well, and I was trying to – I think I was kind of testing you, but I was also trying to lose you. And <laughs> I was go, you know, going into these straight lines, whatever, and I'd look over my shoulder, and there you were right behind me all the time. Yeah, well, I was like, I'm this girl not is about ripping. to lose your heels. <laughs> like, this is my chance. i got to impress Gaffney. Um, that day was actually really funny because I think it was a perfect pow day in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I went up with our buddy Ryan Scardelli and he was like, Hey, we're going to go hit, hit Bush air, which has this like beautiful, perfect landing on the fingers. And we were like maybe fourth chair or something. And I'm like, this is my chance. I've always wanted to hit the fingers. So I'm following him down and I totally catch a tip on a tree, like after the nose. And so I biff and Ryan goes and stomps it clean. And I'm like, so upset with myself. I'm like, I can't believe I missed that opportunity. We were like fourth chair. Like that opportunity doesn't come every single day. And then later, I think it was like noon or one o'clock, like the landing had been skied out. No one's really hitting it again. And Ryan's like, well, we can still, there's like a little patch there. We can still totally go hit that. So we go up again and I chase him into it and I skied it and I stomped it. And I remember, yeah, like you guys being on the chair 
unknowing to me at that moment, right? But it meant so much to me because I had gone from ski racing to skiing in the park. And as you mentioned, like competed, did that for a long time. But really growing up here, again, coming back to like the rat pack of people that grew up here and continued to ski at a high level, like all I wanted to do was ski powder with my friends. I think that was like from a pretty young age, I knew that that was what brought me the most joy on the mountains. And then, yeah, that was such a cool moment to meet you. And I think you pretty much came up to me and you're like, who's your ski sponsor? Like, and then asking all the, the questions, which I knew at that moment, I was like, oh, Gaffney's interested. <laughs> <laughs> this could lead to something. <laughs> and at that time, like having that diverse talent, it was extremely rare. Like either you were a park skier or a big mountain skier. Mm-hmm. But knowing that you had the park background and you could ski, free ski like that in powder in the steep lines and charge with confidence. Like I hadn't seen that. Right. You know, yeah. out of a woman. Like Ingrid was obviously an absolute big mountain goddess. Yeah. And Wendy Fisher and Jamie Burge, they all had, well, Jamie had a little bit of park background, but not, not so much. It was more, she did backflips and she charged big mountains. Yeah. But no one had, yeah, let's turn this interview on you. No, <laughs> like, no. You, yeah. <laughs> because you're more fascinating. No way, no way. <laughs> yeah. I disagree. <laughs> but I like having the conversation. Um, yeah, talking about women, like when you moved out here, I think every name you listed off was a guy. Were there women in at Palisades in Tahoe that were ripping and kind of setting that stage? I think that there were a bunch that competed in contests. Okay. And like in Walls of Freedom, I shot uh, Kirsten Kramer a little bit. I don't yeah. know if you know who she is. Totally. She's a guide now, but she was seeing Dean Conway at the time. Um, and, and she competed in uh, contests here. Um, we saw a lot of people, a lot of women in contests, but not so much just free skiing until Ingrid came along, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. And she really made my eyes pop out the first time I saw her hucking on the Palisades. Yeah. I still remember walking up there and then seeing this girl back up and then take a couple of pole pushes in and, and airing off of the box in the Palisades. And I was like, oh my God, this girl rips and started filming with her the next year. See, this And goes- so the same kind of thing happened with you. That's yeah. being out there and seeing people doing it. Like I love seeing people do it just for the sake of doing it and having fun and whatever prior to putting a lens on them. Yeah. You know, I want to see people how see how people rip naturally. Yeah. As opposed to putting the pressure on like, let's go filming and see how you do. Yeah. That's a testament. I mean, I, I really do credit you with kind of bringing me into the ski industry in the way that I wanted to be seen. And I think you did that clearly with Ingrid. And I just am curious, like how many other athletes did you kickstart their careers in the filming aspect of the ski industry? Like it must be numerous athletes that you saw this talent and you're still doing it. Like last year you brought in, what was he, a 12 year old into the matchstick movie? Walker. Yeah. Walker was making a name for himself. Yeah. Walker Woodring. He was making a name for himself online with little clips here and there. Yeah. Fair. But then you like elevate these people's career. Like you have a knack for finding talent and being like, there's potentially a future there. Well, you can see, I mean, there are a lot of people who can fake it and you can fake it in still photos, but you can't fake it in motion quite as much and you can't fake it in real life. Yeah. Like when you see someone who's a standout talent skiing it, with your own eyes, yeah. you know whether it's going to work or not. You know, and there are, there are so many good skiers at our home mountain, mm-hmm. but not necessarily everyone's 
going to be great on film either. Totally. Um, so there's a differentiation there between what makes a ripping skier and what makes a ripping film skier. And a lot of that has to do with style. You yeah. Know, you could go into, we could just go on tangents forever here. Totally. Or but, having patience to wait at the top of your line until the camera gets yeah, ready. People or don't, like people don't know what that's like. <laughs> yeah. Katie yeah. Burrell is actually making a bunch of fun of that in, in her movie. Yes. I love well, that. Well, all you do is stand around. <laughs> <laughs> Pro athletes, they That's just stand true. around. You, you end up skiing a lot less. Um, well, I appreciate <laughs> that you have kick-started so many careers. I think that's something to, uh, that's like, yeah, there's a laurel there. That's a, something to be proud of because you've given a lot of people the opportunity to be successful in this industry. That's awesome. I mean, you do it for enough years, you're going to, <laughs> that's going to happen. But I love, I, I guess I love discovering people out there and, and giving them some kind of avenue into this whole kind of life. Yeah. And for some people, some people just seize on it and it totally works. Some people kind of get turned off by it after a little while and just kind of fade into their own little way of, of doing things. Yeah. But yeah. And going back to your mention of, uh, there were women for sure that came before me and Ingrid and all these people, you mentioned a few of them, but I feel like there's not a, as many of them like well-documented and mm -hmm. I never want to lose touch with that history of yeah. like women's free skiing. Like there's all these movies and there's tons of guys in them. And, and for me growing up, like I didn't know that you could be a professional female skier when I started because I was like, well, I don't, I don't see a ton in movies. I don't see a ton, even in magazines, like, and every single one that was in a magazine was on my wall and as, as a kid right. growing up, you know? So I never want to lose that like history there. Like I'd love to, I don't know. Do you have anything to say about that time period with the women? Well, I think, you know, there's, there's often been the issue raised that movies for a long time had to have their token woman or something like that. And there might be something to be said for that. Like it, it could have happened. I'd never, I don't think we ever thought of it consciously. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe we did subconsciously, but I, I never felt we were trying to find someone to fill that's like a spot. Um, right. We just we just saw Ingrid, and she was. It wasn't like Ingrid took Wendy's place. Um, Wendy had just moved to a different part of her career, and Ingrid showed up, and it was great. Ingrid's absolutely ripping. Let's shoot with Ingrid. Yeah. But it wasn't like she was filling this one position that we had. Right. You know, and I, I don't. It's it's hard to say if that was actually a thing or not. It wasn't a conscious thing, yeah, for sure. Um, but maybe there's something something to be said that that was actually subconsciously that was in our minds, and I'm glad that's all gone now. Yeah, you know, there's there's it's getting certain, there. It's getting there. Yeah, like I think it maybe doesn't show as much as it could, but I think mentally, in terms of making a ski movie, it's gone. Mm -hmm. Like we haven't thought about how many women we're having in our movie the last few years. Mm -hmm. We just like how many did we have this past year? We might have had you had a lot four or five or six, yeah, or something like that. I I don't know anymore. Yeah, like I think since our all in year, well, we the next year we took some heat for having just guys because it was a lot smaller movie, um, and other things went on. But yeah, I think that I think that discussion or that element of making ski movies is gone as far as you have to have. One woman yeah, or something like that. Like yeah. that's not even a consideration anymore. Totally. Yeah. So we had Kristen Kramer. We had Wendy Fisher was filming. Yeah. Kristen Lignell was filming with uh, Matchstick okay. back when they were, were real adventure films and she's a nurse 
here now yeah, in, okay. in Tahoe. She actually helped deliver our deliver our kids. Oh, awesome! Which is awesome. Uh, who else would have been around? Lizzie Day was in the movies with early Matchstick movies as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm gonna, I've got to be blank. I can just think of there are a bunch of local women who were really good on the competitive side, but you just didn't see them out there kicking ass on the mountain every day. Yeah. I don't know what it was. Maybe my eyes weren't open to it. Mm-hmm. Could have been. Yeah. But it's just so easy at a place like Palisades to spot really good skiers right in your face. Yeah. And I think guys ski in your face a whole lot more than yeah. women necessarily do. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I always laugh too because Palisades, for those of you listeners who haven't ever been here, like so many of the lines are visible from the chairlift. So if you're skiing a line, you know people are watching you. Yeah. And like, I didn't ever realize it until I went to Silverton Mountain and my favorite line to ski was right, right under, under the, the chair. chairlift. And it was <laughs> yeah. like this fun pillowy thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I so like it when people can see you because it just like makes me ski better. Right. Like there's something about that. When the camera's on, I think I ski better. You're like, all right, I'm going to mm-hmm. nail this. And at Palisades growing up under that like kind of spotlight, like you would get heckled if you didn't do something or if you hesitated, but then people would cheer you on if you nailed it and cheer you on if you crashed. And that energy, that buzz is like, I think that's part of why so many successful skiers have come from this place. Yeah. That, that's one of the best highs skiing is like, getting off a KT and racing on a powder day and heading toward the fingers and coming over the nose. And you've got all these people who have been back in the line and now they're on the chair and like you just straight line down the nose. Cause I'm usually trying to go to the fingers as fast as possible to beat everyone. And you could just hear people start to light up. Like the moment that first person comes over yeah. the nose. And if you're that person, you're just straight lining down there. You just start hearing roars come up and it's really, it's a cool feeling. It's so cool. Like I don't play team sports and I don't get that anywhere else. Right. You know, but you're kind of in this arena when you're skiing that the mountain we're at, yeah. and, you know, and some other mountains around there too, like that are out there, like Whistler Blackcomb, like they yeah. have similar scenes with Air the whole Air Jordan, the and waterfall. And water. Yeah. Yeah. Every, like, it's some people probably hate it, but a lot of us thrive off of it. Yep. And it's yep. not a it's not about showing off. I mean, it's you're skiing like a heli run, and, yeah. and that's what you want to do anyway. But yeah. the fact that the chairs there does make it kind of cool. Yeah, I actually do think it elevates my skiing level yeah. too. And it like, probably does. Nail it! Don't stop. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So you, we skipped ahead there a little bit, but just to bring it back, you're making these ski films in Tahoe. When did you start working with Match Day? In 1998. Uh, in 1997, I think it was the, was it the fall of 97 or 96? Steve Winter was in a heli crash mm-hmm. and broke his back. And he's the founder of Match Day, was no longer able to be out there on snow uh, shooting. So I joined them in the winter of uh, 98 and shot probably like 50% of Six Sense. Okay. I'd only made one movie of the year prior on 16 millimeter film. That was with uh, the North Face. And then there was the next year shooting so much for Matchstick Productions, which mm-hmm. was, was pretty wild that I shot so much of that movie. And we, then we brought Saucer Boy in and, and all that. But it was that was kind of an eye-opening year working for someone else. Right. Then I went back and made my own movie the next year, 1999. Beautiful in movie. In 1999. Yeah. It was a fun one. 
And then in 2000, I joined Matchstick for good because mm-hmm. I just, I couldn't do the business side. It just is not my thing. Yeah. Yeah. And talking about like, cause you're an incredibly talented skier. What drove you to not be the skier, but to be the cinematographer? Uh, you know, when I look, people have asked me that and, and it's really weird that I never looked at having a pro skiing career. Mm-hmm. It, it just didn't occur to me. I think I've always seen the world through a lens and through a frame. Like I, I liked the creative side of putting things together. And so it just naturally made my, put my blinders on mm-hmm. to being a pro skier. And I, I wasn't going to be good at self-promotion. Um, Fair. You know, if, if someone discovered me, that's one thing. But they weren't going to discover me because I was behind the camera all the time. Yeah, <laughs> you know? totally. Like I, I had my days where I still had a lot of fun and, and go out, went out would, would go out there and huck and flip and whatever it might be. But a lot of the good days, so many good days were behind the camera. Yeah. And I, I just like being there. I, I like capturing my friends yeah. doing stuff in front of the camera. Do you ever regret that? Not or at no? all. Not no, at all. No. And I, you know, I put together a segment. I, I suppose, you know, something of something in me wanted to still say, hey, I can ski. Like, and I had a set in my own movies, I'd put a, my own segment in there, like a little mini segment or whatever. And then in Ski Movie 2, I was like, you know, I can kind of ski like everyone else that I'm filming. So. <laughs> I wouldn't mind a brother segment with my brother, yeah, you know, awesome. in Ski Movie 2. And so we ended up making one of those. But it's really hard to pay for a filmer to shoot the filmer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? right. Like the master guy's like, we're, we got to pay someone to shoot you skiing. <laughs> and it's not like I was bringing in any money to pay for that. Right. So basically they're throwing money away Yeah. to have someone film their filmer. Yeah, I love Which that, doesn't make though. any sense. But it kind of does to me because, I don't know, I talk about this with uh, my partner, Aaron Black, and he he's a snowboarder and he's a biker and he's really good at both of those things. And being good at the thing that you're filming, it like gives you a different lens to look at the sport through. And, and that's been something that's been super helpful for me. Like when we're out in the mountains, like it's hard to be in your own mind and not talk to anyone about your plan or what line you're going to ski. But when you have a sounding board and much of my career, you've been my sounding board. And I'm like, Gaffney, what do you think about this landing? Like, how big do we think this air is? How does this flow? Like, that's so helpful to have, like that gives you, you're, you have so many more tools in your toolbox to like be there and be on hill filming skiing. Like it mm-hmm. makes so much sense to me. It's really cool. Oh, that's, I appreciate that. And it's, I do think it's really worked well over my career like a lot of a lot of skiers have said oh i really like having you there because i also see things from a photogenic perspective absolutely so the skiing perspective and the photogenic perspective and knowing and skiing with these people all the time i totally know what they're capable of too like i knew what you could do yeah on snow so when i'd point point out something i wasn't like just throwing something out there like you know maybe this will work is like you can do that michelle yeah i know you got which that line. then instills confidence in right. me as the athlete yeah. and it's this beautiful building block to go from where i mean straight up i've been out there with so many photographers they're like that looks great and i'm like that landing is dead flat like what are you thinking <laughs> mm-hmm. i still regret that time and uh you blew your knee though in um at century lodge that was my fault and i was too tired 
Yeah, maybe maybe that's what it was. <laughs> it was something that I knew you could do, but then you went and blew your knee right in front of me. Yep, yep. I like, I, you know no. what? I had huge skis on, and I had those like what were they called? The biggest Dina fit binding ever, the beast. Right. Yeah. Naturally named the beast and the swing weight. I was exhausted. I'd been filming for so long and the swing weight of the ski and that binding, like I felt my muscles just couldn't bring it back. They mm-hmm. had nothing to do with you, but we've been there for a couple of injuries through it together. We yeah, can get that's into another that. Story. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> if you want to go there, we can go there. Um, so, okay. You're making these ski movies. You start working for matchstick. When did you meet Shane and how did that relationship develop? I met Shane back in Colorado. I, I think I talk about it in McConkie. Shane delivered pizzas to my brother's house while he was in Boulder. And he saw a bunch of skis on the wall. Uh, and he said, oh, you guys are skiers. You know, we've got this movie showing in a, in a couple days on, on campus. And so he convinced uh, my brother and his roommates to all go out to check out this movie that was made by Nick Nixon. I think it was Alpine Rapture. Maybe it was Ski Theater. And they got there and like, oh my God, the pizza delivery guys, guy rips. Yes. And so they started kind of befriending Shane. And then I met him through that. And Shane was competing on the pro mogul tour at the time. And I had become friends with this guy, Justin Patnode in Summit County. Uh, And he knew Shane and and we got introduced to Shane. And again, it's the story of Shane gravitated toward a guy with a camera, which was me. And we started filming there. And then we moved to Tahoe the next year. And Shane had grown up skiing Palisades. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was living in Vail, but he got kicked out of Vail. Classic. And it's like, you know, everyone knows the, the, naked, the naked bump run uh, that, where they kicked him out. Too good. And he's like, what am I going to do with myself? And, and we basically convinced him to come back out here. Yeah. And... He did, and one thing led to another. We were we were both bussing tables his first year out here. He was mm-hmm. trying to make it as a pro skier. Um, I guess I, was, I wasn't really trying to make it as a pro filmer. I was just wanting to film as much as possible. Yeah. But I was bussing at Rosie's down here in Tahoe City, and he was bussing at a restaurant called The Passage in Truckee. And that was the year his ski career took off. Yeah. That's amazing. And then you two worked together for. Yeah, we ended up filming a ton together. And he filmed with Matchstick. Like, he's in my movie Walls of Freedom a ton. Like, he and uh, my brother Rob are the main stars of that movie. And Walls of Freedom didn't kickstart his career by any means because it was so low budget and barely anyone saw it. But he filmed with Matchstick that year. And Matchstick was kind of filling the void of Greg Stump and had suddenly become the biggest filmmaker out there aside from Warren Miller. Mm -hmm. And Shane put on a a showing in that movie that just blew him up. Like he was throwing double backs off 40 foot cliffs and, you know, just going nuts. And people didn't see that out of skiers. Yeah. And so his, his career blew up that way, but we were hanging and filming together for the next several years after that. How many years did you film him? Uh, well, from 94 through the year he died. Actually, I didn't film it at all the year he died because I, was, I blew my knee mm-hmm. that year and missed out. Um, so 94 through 2008. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a good run. Super good run. Yeah. And you filmed all the saucer boy shenanigans and all this. Uh, not the first year. He came up with that with Steve Winter. Um, they were up in Alaska and Shane had blown his knee and didn't. Did he blow it that year? He blew it the next year. I think he might have blown it two years in a row. 
like the year I shot him in Six Sense when he started wearing the orange uh, yeah. outfit, the Bogner outfit. Uh, that was he had blown his knee and was up in Alaska as the head of the IFSA, the International Free Skiing Association, looking after a contest that was going on up there. And he's like, "How am I going to be in the movie this year? I, I don't have any footage." Mm-hmm. And he's he they they took Saucer Boy, which they had dabbled with the first year, uh, and then just we kind of ran with it. Yeah. In 1998, and blew him up. <laughs> How fun was traveling the world with him? That, oh. He made, you know, it wasn't just traveling the world, like everyday stuff. He, he had a gift of turning any mundane, ordinary day into something special. Yeah. And I think he's done that with a ton of people. After he died, so many people would come forward like, I met him for five minutes and it was one of the coolest experiences of my life. Like he, he always made something happen. He's a guy who kind of took control of the room when everything went silent or everyone's like, hmm, what are we going to do? Yeah. That, that was like Shane's moment. Like, okay, yes. we're going to make something to do. Whether, you know, put a cardboard piece of, or a piece of cardboard on the floor and you have to bend down and like get it with your teeth or whatever. Yeah. He, he turned everything into a game. Yeah. And they're all simple things. Um, they're, it, it was endless fun with that guy for sure. Yeah. I remember that and just thinking like any trip that he's on, if I get invited, I am definitely saying yes because I knew it would be such a good time. Like we were on K2 for a long time together and it just like, yeah, he was the the first person that I ever was super nervous to meet. But then as you mentioned, like I met him on a pier in Lake Tahoe and it was instant camaraderie and just Mm -hmm. this like awesome experience. I was like, oh, I didn't have to be afraid at all. Like totally meet your heroes. He was the best. And then from then on out, I was like, I got to say yes and be around him as much as I can. And I was young. Yep. I was young. He was a good person to look up to though, too. Like his humor was classic. I mean, iconic shot our first year film with you in Claim. Was you punching him in the nuts? <laughs> totally, and that was like his idea, I think. Yep. And then, like, I'm like, I don't want to hit you in the nuts. Like, I did that when I was a 12 year old girl to my older brother and his friends too many times. I learned my lesson, and he's like, No, hit me harder! Like, hit me as hard as you can. We got to make it believable. I mean, we did several takes of that. Oh yeah. And he's like, No, harder. Yeah. Harder. And you're like, I don't want to do harder. <laughs> totally. And then we had this like amazing California tourism commercial where we had a whole film crew up from LA. And we're on the Palisades and we're just like skiing, like pretty corny stuff, just California tourism stuff. And he's like, it's April Fool's Day. Mm -hmm. And he looks at me and we're about to ski down and I'm supposed to stop. No, he's supposed to stop. I'm supposed to stop above him. And then we say some line to the camera. And he's like, okay, on this take, like I'm going to stop and I want you to like run into me. And then I'm going to fake like I blew my knee. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> perfect. We can do this. So he stops. I crash into him. He goes down. He's like yelling that he blew his knee, like freaking out. <laughs> this huge scene. These dudes from LA are freaking. They're like, our insurance, like, did they sign anything? And we just play it off and take it like probably too far. <laughs> they didn't think it, it was as funny as I thought it was. I thought it was hilarious. We were losing our mind. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Yeah. See, that's the classic story. I've never even heard that story. But that was... Just so typical yeah. of him. Yeah, jokester. Yeah. And like self-deprecating for sure. Yeah, self-deprecating. And, and I think I think that's one of the things that's understated in what he gave to the ski world is like around 2000, there was such an effort to be cool. Right. You know, you, you had to look sick. You had to have this persona that where you're just badass. And Shane was 
180 degrees the opposite. Mm -hmm. He thought that was the funniest thing in the world that people were trying. People were skiers and, you know, and trying to look so hardcore. Totally. And he just poked fun at it. The, The more serious people made it, the more he took a stab at it. Like, yeah, I'm making fun of this. Which I appreciate, like skiing's never been this super cool thing. Like I think it's cool, but I also think our art, like, whereas like snowboarding has been this really cool thing to do. Yeah. Like that's what the cool kids are going yeah. to do. And like, so like skiing's been this kind of just, I don't know. It's like, maybe I'm going to get like hated on for this, but I feel like us not looking at ourselves as being the cool thing to do has kind of lightened that a little bit Mm -hmm. and it feels a little bit more welcoming to just like be who you are and do the thing like and not get hated on yeah probably yeah well i don't know where i was going with that but (laughs) i digress i just really appreciate poking the fun out of it because like i think i don't know i'm always like professional skiers and athletes definitely have an ego and like if we can poke holes in that like bring us down a notch that's a good thing yeah yeah. And Shane had an ego and he had the anti ego. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Which was freaking awesome. Yeah, exactly. Um, so your friendship, you guys were best friends. Yes. He had a number of best friends through his life, or people that would consider him their best friend. Like at his memorial, I think six of us got up there and, and talked. We're like, Shane was my best friend. Yeah. <laughs> Next guy. <laughs> Shane was my best friend. Shane was my best friend. And whoever, like, he did go through different best friends just because of the roles we played in his life. Like, I probably was his best friend. He was my best friend, at least, through from 95 through 2001 or so. Mm-hmm. And then he was got more into the base jumping scene. And then he was putting all of his time into that. And then you could say his best friend during that period was Miles Dasher, who was just this nut job you know, super fun, loving base jumper. And then JT, uh, more around 2003 or so started getting into the ski base thing. And so they more, they became best friends because they had their eyes on the same thing. They both wanted to be looking for places that no one had ever skied. And that became their main focus. And so they became best friends and it just, you know, it kind of changes through the course of time, but yeah, I had a good period where we were roommates. Uh, I was renting a room from him, and uh, it was it was really fun living. I mean, some of the best years of my life, for sure. Yeah. Do you have any memories that stand out to you? God, they're non, nonstop, whether it's on a trip or I think a real fun one. We, we played a prank on a friend of ours, Rob McCormick, who had moved out. Uh, of our house it was it was Shane myself and Rob McCormick in this house for a long time then Rob moved out and got an apartment and Shane and I went up and explored the caves up by Big Chief uh, one day we're crawling through all these caves and then we're uh, as we're leaving we're driving by Rob's apartment like let's go check to see if Rob's there and he wasn't there and the place was locked and we're like let's go mess with his house and so we crawled up like the back uh up to the back deck on the second floor and, and snuck into his house. And then Rob was kind of anal about everything being super neat. Right. So we'd go around and like twist all the fo- pictures and everything. And, <laughs> and then we grab some lotion and put it beside his bed with a bunch of watered up <laughs> oh <my laughs> gosh. tissue paper. And then Shane found a Polaroid camera and he handed it to me and he dropped his pants 
and grabbed a picture of Rob's parents and put it in oh front of his junk. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we took a Polaroid of Rob's parents right in front of Shane's junk. Like no no face on Shane. Yeah. But then and then we put that on Rob's fridge. Oh and, my gosh. And uh, then we left the house. And, <laughs> and that was just one of those times where it was just any ordinary day. Totally. But that's a, a memory that'll stick with me the rest of my life because yeah. it's something that well, <laughs> Shane just made fun out of nothing. What was Rob's reaction? I, I can't even remember that. What the, the funnier reaction was Shane and I just laughing our asses off at yeah. what we had just done. Like, totally. Like he just had this cackle and then we could get into uncontrollable laughing fits yep. where it was, it was infectious and would go on forever. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and then, and then when he passed, like how, how did you find yourself dealing with that? That was, it was especially tough because I'd blown my knee right mm-hmm. before that. That's when we were going, we can transition into our little story. Yeah, totally. After that. But uh, I had no escape. Um, I was actually at physical therapy when I got the call. And, you know, I broke down there. And then, like, usually we want to use our recreational pursuits to get a, free our minds, whatever. And I didn't have that option, yeah. which really sucked. Yeah. Um, I was just at home or in PT every day. And, uh, so it made, made it that much harder. Like right then when it happened, I set about making like a, a memorial video to put together or whatever. So I was able to distract myself and, and like mm-hmm. hang out with them, um, feel like I was hanging out with them. Uh, but it was kind of brutal being hurt. Like I would have loved to have had skiing at that time where yeah. I could just go out and just lose myself, you know, just, just skiing out there and having to actually enjoy myself. I think, you know, it was, it was kind of wild. I heard a really cool story about Shane from another friend uh, a few months after he died. Uh, this woman, Mora, said the day that I blew my knee, Shane was down in Wildflower and it was a really good powder day. And I, I was skiing alone at the time, but I let Shane know after I blew my knee, I was like, I absolutely destroyed it. And she said she met him and it was a powder day. He should have been having a good time, but he was really somber, like atypical. Mm-hmm. And she said, what's wrong? And he said, well, Scott screwed up his knee today really badly. And it was really cool for me to hear that he was shaken that his buddy yeah had been hurt yeah and uh he wasn't able to allow himself to enjoy it yeah which felt good in the you know the whole relationship side of things for sure absolutely i think about i mean it's been on my mind a little bit because oftentimes i get asked that question like how do you deal with grief and we've lost a lot of people living here in tahoe and in the ski industry and and beyond um but I, i always forget how I deal with grief until it happens again. Mm-hmm. And then I'm reminded again and, and losing hills this summer, I was like, oh yeah, like like surround myself with people that I love and yeah. friends of hills as much as possible and try to make new memories and talk about it and be open about it and let yourself cry, but like work yourself through it and, and always falling back on the things that we love to do together. Yeah. Yeah, I've been having a really good time even something as mundane as like going to the climbing gym with uh with Jim, her partner. Yeah. And and seeing him with a smile on his face like brings me so much joy and Yeah. Um yeah, but it's never easy and 
we all miss Shane. That's for that's for sure. And that was Shane was the start of a bad run there with uh, Shane and Arnie and CR and Timmy. Yeah. And it just it was like one hit after another. It felt like it was like every year. Yeah. Every we're other just getting year. pummeled. Like yeah. It was crazy. I was actually driving to get my knee surgery on March 26th when he passed, and I got the phone call. It was probably from you. Actually, you've you've been the bearer of this news on multiple occasions. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get my knee surgery today. And like, I really like having a good mind when I go into surgery and being like, I'm getting fixed. This is the step in the right direction. And, and I really, like, I always actually go into them and I'm like, I'm going to have a party. I'm going to go under and like, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be healed and fixed. And then it's going to be a lot of hard work, but I love like celebrating that moment because mm-hmm. it makes me less scared. And I went in there to Dr. Orr, who is Shane's doctor. Yeah. And I told Dr. Orr what had happened, which may have been a mistake right before going into an <laughs> operation. I'm not sure. But Orr told me this wild story about how Shane had had a really bad hematoma on his hip. And I guess he went into oh, Dr. That Orr. that was... That's in focus. Yeah. In 2003, he's got that huge welt from the, the handlebars of his uh, sled. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess he goes into the doctor's office. Oh, yeah. That's and right. or is like, I mean, I don't know. I guess we could like take a syringe and like take some of the swelling out. But apparently, or left and walked back in the room, and Shane had the needle in his hematoma, and he was doing it to himself. Yeah. And like, <laughs> and he was like trying. He I squeezed out a ton of it. Too. Were you there like, with him? No. Oh. Or told me the yeah. same story. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. I was like, oh my gosh. All right, surgery's no big deal. We got this. Like, it, it was massive too. It was a grapefruit coming out yeah. of the slide right by his groin. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and and then and I also remember Shane talking about um, scopes on your knee as being like oil changes. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I get them all the time. Like a little scope, a little oil change. You're yep. good as new. And I had a scope this summer and I couldn't help but think of him. Like, it's just like an oil change. You're y- good. <laughs> yep. I remember taking him down to one, uh, yeah. down in South Lake and he, he left it and he was like, why haven't I been doing this every year? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, totally. He felt like just going, yeah, it's so funny to treat a little minor surgery like that. But I yeah. think it made him feel way better. Yeah. He had, he had a lot of, a lot of issues, medical issues Yeah, with his knees. I mean, he, like, we talk about his humor and saucer boy and all of that, but I remember the first year of getting to film with you guys, like, I actually, I made it into, like, the extras part when there was credits in movies and yeah, stuff. Yeah, that should like have been a segment. You had a bunch of good shots. Well, I don't know. It was, like, my <laughs> first break, and I was so excited to be out there, but we were filming at Palisades with Shane and Ingrid and JT, I think, was there, and I remember, like, Shane explaining the line he was going to ski and me being, like, yeah, right. And I was like, this dude is off the rocker. Like, how is he going to piece this together? And at the time too, like I was super young and I was like, he's kind of getting older. And then he just laced this line like (laughs) so good. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's the best skier in the world. Like watching him was such a thrill for me as a Mm -hmm. young kid. And then yeah, hitting when the balls was the icing on the cake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was the same day, right? Yeah. Probably Silverado. But he was always so supportive and so like, yeah, uplifting to be around. Yeah. Really enjoy Shane for sure. Um, okay, where do we move to from that? Do you want to go into uh, our bonding? Oh my gosh. Knee surgery bonding? Yeah. Because we had worked together for a number of years before Only this. one. Okay, yeah, you're but right. But we, we had established a pretty good friendship just, I think, working through Claim yep. in 2008. And totally. then you did it in 2009 and I did mine in 2009. Right yep. around the same time. What was? Mine was March 26th. Oh, that's when you blew it. Yep. First time. Well, no, it was, it must've been before that. It was before that. Because that's when I was going yeah. in for surgery. For the second one. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. Because I had two surgeries and yes, you had two we surgeries. We had the same thing. So I blew my knee in John January 26th. And I did a whole bunch of things beyond ACL, including my patellar tendon. And you, like, we had similar similar injuries where, like, yours was different enough, but we both had, like, the same amount of damage done. And we had the same timeline as far as we need to get this first surgery, immobilize for six weeks, then get to 120 degrees prior to getting ACL surgery and going back to square one. Yeah. So we were in the same program. And when you come out of six weeks of being immobilized, you know, it's like lifting your, your knee three centimeters off the floor is painful. Yeah. And then that process of going from barely able to lift your knee off the ground to getting 120 degrees, that was the most painful uh, experience of my life. Yeah. You know, that, that whole process. <laughs> and, and we were in it together. And, and Michelle and I were in it together. I don't know who I'm talking to now. Is it the audience <laughs> the or talking to you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Michelle and I are in it together. We're side by side in the uh, physical therapy office or whatever you want to call it, facility and with the, with the same physical therapist. And basically he would go back and forth between the two of us and work on one of ours knee and we'd be like, Oh my, ah, and yeah. you, you had a mouth on you. You actually got scolded a few times yeah, because you're like, mother, and it was going through the entire hallways and everything. People would come up. Oh, you're going to have to keep it down, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you couldn't but help but make noise. It like, was, it was, it was brutal. Yeah. Like yep. Scott would actually physically hold my hips down so I couldn't yeah. squirm. And our physical therapist would bend my knee and it would be like, and you were just ripping through scar tissue. Yeah. And we both were doing it together. And then, then you'd get to a point where you can't take it anymore. And then he'd shift over to me. Yep. And then I think you sometimes were holding down my hips as yep. well. CR was even in there one time holding yep. down my hips. Totally. And like, and we're just, it was excruciating. Yeah. And to get to that 120 degrees to go back to square one. Yeah. And that was, that was weird. Well, the ligament that we both did together, which was a ligament that I didn't even know existed, was the medial patellofemoral yeah. ligament. And and like you told me you blew that, and I was like, what the heck is that? And then I blew it, and I was like, Scott, we did the same ligament. <laughs> but you had a tibial plateau fracture? I did a microfracture, ACL. Microfracture, right. Yeah, meniscus, medial patellofemoral. Yeah. So a handful of ligaments. And I there. did rupture my patellar tendon, ACL, MCL, medial patellofemoral, and meniscus. Yeah. So... It was all pretty similar. Totally. And by my memory, it was like three days a week. We were in there pretty much together. We'd book our times like identical because yeah. we were both going through it. It was incredibly helpful to have someone else. Yes. Even though I would never wish that upon yeah. anyone. But to know that we were like both healing together in this really obscure way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, you know, they say some of the best bonding comes through pain. stress and pain and, totally. and whatever. And that's what we had. Yeah. That was good times. <laughs> <laughs> You know what it was, though? I always say I never regret injuries. Like, you learn so much about right. yourself and where you want to go. could have used that one not being quite that bad. That was a pretty bad one. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, like it was Like, just an ACL, like, sure. But that one was way worse. Yeah, it was almost two years, I think, before I came back full. Yeah, and I remember, I remember going out skiing that first year in 2010. First day, and I wanted my brother and JT to come along. Mm-hmm to go ski the most mellow groomers in the world because I was afraid 
something was going to go wrong. Yeah. I was afraid my knee was going to ostrich and bend the exact opposite way. Ostrich. And I remember not hitting an air until probably like late March up in Alaska. Yeah. Uh, on one free run. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm coming back. Yeah. You know, but it Such was, it was a little, yeah, it was a slow one. Just baby steps. Like I, I would go out for one run on a groomer strict like, and then take three days off and then go for two runs on a groomer and mm-hmm. then take three days off and then like slowly ease my way back yeah. into it. I've been reminding myself of that with this injury, like, um, cause I had the scope this summer and and, and I feel 100% and I feel like I could go out every single day and do what I want to do. But I'm like really trying to just baby steps, don't put any expectations on myself, come back in a way that feels good and not like any stress on my knee. I think a lot of people are interested in like how you come back off of injuries and, and how did you maintain positivity throughout that recovery? How did I? Yeah. I don't know, especially with the whole Shane uh, scenario, but yeah. for me... Skiing drove me to get back. Like I, I remember being on some of the machines, uh, you know, working out my legs and I would close my eyes and picture skiing into the fingers. Yeah. And like I'd picture going toward main air and I'd be pumping the weights and like, you know, getting strong. And, uh, and I'd just picture floating off the air and, and stomping it and I'd press and, and whatever. So yeah, the, the will to get back to doing what we love is is what powers you yeah and as so many so often you say after you've been through these injuries like you hear someone else get get an injury and you say man you're gonna come back so much stronger than you've ever been because it's true. because if you love what you're trying to set yourself up for you're gonna power through that yeah you know and and that has been i mean i even thought about it through that injury like what if i didn't have skiing or that thing that drove me to come in here and face that pain 3 days a week and spend like countless hours in the gym coming back like i'm so thankful that i have something like that to drive right. me towards and then furthermore too with other injuries i've like set these audacious goals for myself like all right, I'm going to enter into this 100-mile gravel race in Idaho in September, and that's my goal, and that means that I have to get back to it, and that's been helpful for me, right. too, setting yeah. those goals. One, one thing that I really appreciate, though, in going through those injuries is that we have careers where we're flexible and able to have the time to devote to getting better. Yeah. Like when I picture people who live in the real world Yeah. and – you know, you blow an ACL or something like that. Like how, how do these people who work nine to five get themselves back? You know, they don't have the time to allow themselves to go in three times a week for a two and a half hour session, you know, yeah. in the middle of the day or whatever to with a therapist yeah. that's willing to give you two yeah, and a half exactly. hours of his time. So it's, it's pretty, uh, it's, it's gotta be tough Yeah, <laughs> having real lives. I mean, I've been thinking about that with this surgery too, like this summer, I did it in August and I still was, I mean, this fall was so demanding, like going to, I went to 10 movie premieres and I'm not over yet. I have one more at least that Mm -hmm. I'm going to, but just being on the road and having to get dedicate that time, like it took so much of my concentration to be like, okay, I'm going to get there and I'm going to wake up and I'm going to find a gym and I'm going to do the damn thing because I have to, and I don't want to let this slip. Like I've never... I've never throughout an injury though been so busy. Right. So it felt a little bit more so you real. Had the real experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, real in a weird way. We have such a bizarre lifestyle, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's demanding though. And you don't have as much time. Yeah. And so being diligent and just I 
kind of made a mantra for myself and it was body before business. Mm-hmm. And I stuck to that 90% of the time I'd say, but yeah, yeah. Injuries can be tough. Yep. We've been there. <laughs> We've been there. And then you were there subsequently later on when I blew my ACL and meniscus on my left knee. Yeah. I was yeah. like, oh no, Michelle. Yeah. And then I had to drive from Canada back to Tahoe by myself in That's my car. Right. And it was such a painful trip. Like, yeah, leaving knowing I did my knee, but not really being too sure. And I go through this huge denial phase of like, nope, it's going to be fine. It's going to heal itself. I'm good. I start vision visualizing all these tiny minions in my knee fixing the ligaments like every <laughs> night before I go to bed and I'm like my injury's coming back like we're getting the minions are in there they're doing that thing but yeah driving for three days with a blown knee like swollen and just yeah it took me so long to get home that was a low point for sure <laughs> that's because we selfishly stayed there and kept on filming as I would expect yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a tough one though and then you drove all my stuff home thanks for that yeah <laughs> yeah so you've been working with Matchstick for what we said, like 25 years, 25 uh, films Between six cents and, and uh, 98. So a span of 20, I mean, yeah, it's 25. Yeah. But uh, 24, 23 full time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you recently just announced your departure from Matchstick. And, mm-hmm. and what was the lead up to that? And, and why did you decide to do that? Uh, it was incredibly difficult. Uh, number one, because I've absolutely loved the job I've had for so many years. Uh, you know, if, if the college kid in me had seen where my career was going to go, he wouldn't have believed it. You know, yeah. it's, it was absolutely the dream job. Um, I think... One of the biggest problems was financially, it just wasn't cutting it for me. I'm probably the thriftiest, thriftiest person I know. Mm-hmm. And yet I've been living paycheck to paycheck for all these years. Yeah. And that seems kind of crazy after 23 years of doing this. You yeah. Know? Or, or, I mean, really, I've been making ski movies since my first year out of college. So that is 31 years in a row yeah. of doing the same thing. And I'm living paycheck to paycheck. It just, something's wrong with that. And, you know, my kids were missing out on a lot of experiences. Like they've never been to camps or anything because we can't afford any of those things. Quick break in the conversation to talk about Arcteryx. I've been on tour lately with Safe As Clinics, which is an event that Arcteryx supports. Huge thank you for that. We've been teaching avalanche awareness, and as it's the beginning of the season, I think it's really important to remind everybody to get out there and practice companion rescue, get educated, and continue learning on this lifelong apprenticeship of the mountains. One of the products from Arcteryx that I'm most excited about is the Lytric airbag system, which will be available really soon. Just wanted to give you all a heads up as this pack is going to be a game changer for me as it's super lightweight with new and improved technology coming in at 2.4 pounds. This leaves you with more room for your gear and honestly will make me wear this thing every single day. I think it's really important to take many things into consideration when making a purchase of an airbag. We consider this to be your fourth piece of life-saving equipment alongside your beacon, shovel, and probe, and I'd personally like to see it become the norm as it's proven time and time again to save lives. The most important part is wearing this thing when you're out in the backcountry. With the electronic system and a long-lasting lithium-ion battery that allows for at least 60 hours of continuous charge, this pack is the airbag for me. I can travel with ease, no questions on airplanes, And with the lightweight technology, I know that I'll use this pack every time I head into the backcountry. 
So have you ever been to a party and the bowl of chips has a bunch of smaller chips on top? When you give that thing a shake, the big chips rise to the top. That's essentially how an airbag works. It increases your surface area, making you bigger and helps to keep you on top. Of course, you can still become buried with an airbag, but you'll most likely have a shallower, shallower burial depth, thus increasing your chances of survival. And I'm so excited about this new airbag. The lightweight system, the electronic system just makes it for ease of use and something that I'm going to wear every day. Financially, Making ski movies was just, I mean, my, you know, during editing season, I put so many hours in, like I'd be working 60 to 65 hours a week. Yeah. And when I did the math, I was making 22 bucks an hour or something like that. And yeah. You know, my 15 year old son's making that down in the bike shop or at the cookie shop. Right. <laughs> you know, of course not working 60 to 65 hours a week. Yeah. But still it just, it just wasn't adding up. And it's, it's not just that, like, oh, I want, want to have more time with my family, like a little freedom, uh, in the summer to set my own schedules and the win in the winters. Like I haven't been able to tell my parents that I can come visit them in Bozeman during the winter at any time because totally. I've always got to be ready to go for a ski trip, you know, yeah. you know, at a moment's notice. And more than that, you know, when you've been doing the same thing for 31 years, my life, I, I put it in my post, like it's kind of been one dimensional Yeah. and I want more variety in my life. Like this field that I'm in, in terms of making ski movies and cinematography, you can do so many things with it. Yeah. And I've been doing the same thing over and over and that's because I absolutely love it yeah. and because I get to hang out with really cool people and go to the most amazing places in this world. And it's been really hard to break away from that. But yeah. at some point, I've got to make that happen. So yeah, I think I just did. Yeah. It seems like <laughs> it. Do you think you'll still go back and film for them like occasionally? Or? Yeah. I think if, if the right things come up, they've already been talking to me about, you know, working on a project here and, and they wanted to book me for a bunch of things. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, sure. <laughs> I want to see what other options are out there first or else I'm going to get, get caught doing the same thing again. Yeah. So my problem is that I also want to keep on skiing, uh, as much as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. And this lifestyle or this job has afforded me this lifestyle where if I'm not shooting at home, when I'm home, I get to go skiing yeah. every day. Yeah. And I really value that. And it's been a totally selfish thing. Uh, this playtime, like skiing and surfing whenever there, there's wind on the lake or whatever, you know, I, I have the flexibility of dropping everything and prioritizing that playtime. Yeah. But as I said, my family's kind of suffered from it and I need to be a little more responsible in setting myself up for the future. Yeah. So hopefully I can do something that makes more money and gets me doing really cool things in maybe different aspects of this cinematography field. Yeah, absolutely. And what are you currently working on? Currently I'm working with Katie Burrell and her crew on a Hollywood style movie. Um, I'm going to be the second unit director. I also had to act in it, uh, yes. a couple of weeks ago, which was quite the test. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's a comedy. It's going to be ridiculous, debaucherous, kind of along the lines of a hot dog, which is one of those, you know, groundbreaking movies that, you know, influenced so many of us here. Mm -hmm. So who knows where this one's going to go, you know? Yeah. That's the thing with this type of movie is that 
maybe it could go huge. Yeah. And I, when I heard they were doing this and, and my career was like, I, I wanted to go for this change. I couldn't have seen something coming at a better time for, for me. It just was, was perfect. So I'm getting to be involved in a whole bunch of aspects, aspects in it. And, uh, JT's involved and filmer Tom Day from here, like a lot of yeah, lot JT's of people we know. JT's the stunt coordinator. Yeah, yeah. Aaron had a part in it the other day. Aaron, your boyfriend. <laughs> your boyfriend. I have a part in it. December sixth. Yes, you have to do some acting. What's your? What are you doing? I oh. am uh, playing myself. Yeah. But it's scripted as skier girl with braid, which fits me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I've got some lines to read, which I'm pretty excited about. Yeah. I was playing myself too. Yeah. So, uh, so it was easy getting into character. Yeah. But it was still a difficult thing to do. Yeah, what was you had to nail a line at a time. I had like six lines. <laughs> oh, dang! And the crazy thing is, uh, it wasn't the easiest thing for a rookie. Like I did a lot of acting in high school, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed doing, but that was ages ago. Yeah. So I didn't have experience doing that, and so I got thrown into this scene in a bar, where when you film these scenes and you're talking to someone in a bar. You know, you're, you're talking at a volume where the person can hear you from several feet away. That's, that was me and me talking to Katie. Oh, right. However, they have the place totally silent so that there's no interfering audio. Yeah. You know, so all of that's added in post. So there I am delivering lines and at this volume that isn't natural because <laughs> it's absolutely silent in there. But I'm talking to Katie like she's six feet away. Yeah over crowd noise of a hundred people. Right. But everyone, all these people I know are sitting back there and, and listening to me deliver these lines. It was, uh, <laughs> it was definitely a little, a little uncomfortable, yeah. fun, fun, but uncomfortable. Yeah. Would do again. Would do again. Yeah. I'd totally. like to get better at it, but it makes you really appreciate. Like then I watched the real actors. Like yeah. there, there are a few, um, hired actors for it and, and Katie herself, like they just crush it. And right. then it gives you a real appreciation for what they do. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'll stick to my day job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So as the director of photography, is that what you said your mm-hmm. title is? Yeah. So shooting a bunch of uh, skiing scenes. Yeah. Like, like Hot Dog had a bunch of uh, cool action yeah. uh, montages. This will have the same type of thing. Just hoping on the snow. You know, it's, yeah. we've, uh, it's scheduled for early December. We're supposed to be shooting it this coming week. Yeah. But that's obviously not going to happen, so we'll be pushing it back till we have decent snow on the ground because we want legit skiing. Yeah, for sure. And we've got the talent here to make it happen. Yeah. We just need snow. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm glad that that popped up. It's going to be time. a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. And what other things could you see yourself doing? Uh, I, I have other aspirations for actually full feature flicks. Um, in the action sports world and like documentary style, or documentary like- style and kind of like ski porn, but more multi-sport type stuff. Yeah. Um, I would love to do commercial work. Uh, I'd love to do some documentary stuff. I just want a mix of, mix of things. Yeah. Mix it up. Yeah. Rather Not than the same, same old thing. Old. And I don't want to sit in, in an editing room for eight months of the year anymore. Yeah. Pass That's, that off. Yeah. Enjoy like I, I'll, summer. I'll still be glad to do some editing here and there if I can work on like little shorter projects, whatever, but sitting inside for that period of time, it's, it's not healthy. It's not fun. Like it's, it's, that's not why I got into it. I got into it for the winter type part of my job, which was always going around the world and seeing really cool places 
and cool things happen. Did you start as just a cinematographer with Matchstick and then... Well, no, I was making my own movies for several years before Matchstick, yeah. so I had the indoor part of the job. Yeah. But everything moves a lot faster. Like, I was working with less footage. Totally. Less, like, everything was shrunk down. Yeah, when So when too. I edited my own movies, like, I made a movie with Matchstick called Immersion in 2002 or three, And we had such little footage. I think I edited that in two weeks. Wow. But now, like these Matchstick movies take me May, June, July, August, and it usually runs into mid-September mm-hmm. before we're actually finally done. And, you know, that's, there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen too. And so you're bouncing yeah. things off a lot of people and like, no, I don't like that or whatever. It's, it's a lot easier doing your own thing. Yeah. And just busting it out and getting her done. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. I'm I'm very it, excited for your future. I'm, I'm excited too. It's it's scary as anything because I've been getting a paycheck. You know, I've I've been on salary. Yeah. Um, and so now I'm going out without any money. I just bought a camera. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. So I haven't had that since the film days. Yep. My own camera, and that that's one thing that's really limited me too. Is like I've had this catch twenty two of. I can't go anywhere because I don't have my own camera. Right. I don't have the, my own money to get a camera to enable myself to get out there and do something different. So I finally just, I got a, a, a loan from the in-laws. Yes. And I'm going to go do it. Awesome. Yep. That's See what a happens. big first step. Totally. Um, was this something you'd been thinking about for a number of years? I've had people kicking me in the ass to do it for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't really known it was going to happen or known I was finally going to pull the trigger until this pretty much this entire past year. Yeah. I've known. Yeah. I was like, okay, I've, I've had enough. It was probably because we weren't filming together. That probably is it. I was <laughs> I'm like, just I kidding. miss Michelle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but when I, I saw your announcement and it like, it sunk in, I was like, oh my gosh, like, wait, when was the last time I filmed with Scott? And when do I get to film with him again? Like, it was so, like, it was uh, really, I was sad, but also happy for you. And, like, and just reminiscing on all those good times in the mountains. Like, so many people have with you, I'm sure. Like, I think being the editor and the cinematographer oftentimes feels probably thankless. Like, you're the one behind the camera and the skiers are up there on the stage and doing the thing. But I feel like you've risen above that in some way, shape, or form. You're an icon of our sport. And that's, like, a really cool position to be in. Well, thank you. I uh, think about that with, like, Warren Miller, too. I'm like, okay, this is, I just filmed with them last year for their 73rd film. Mm-hmm. Like, we have a lot to thank Warren Miller for. Yep. Like, creating action sports movies back in 1949, I believe, yeah, was his insane. first film. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think of. Yeah, and I and I put you in a very similar light with like the contributions you've given our sport. Well, I appreciate that, and and I want people to know that I'm not going anywhere. I'm still going to be skiing a ton, yes. and uh, I'm going to try to maximize my ski time, and I'll still film skiing. Are you going to go? Just just not the same thing I've been doing. Yeah, fair for this long. I think that's healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And you can get day rates now. Do you get sun in your eyes? Do we need to shut it's those very places? bright in my eyes. <laughs> <It is>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I can live. It's, it's going to go behind the trees in a moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll get day rates and, and whatever. And yeah. hopefully I pick up projects maybe for companies or, you know, tell, make, make little shorts where I can tell a story or whatever. Yeah. And I think that's one problem we have with our ski movies is that we're, we're going to a place where we always want to try to tell stories with our 
movies, but in our ski films, we don't really have the time to tell stories the way they should be told. Mm -hmm. So you're telling a story that should have 12 minutes and you've got to put it into five minutes. Yeah. And you feel like you're cheating every little story you're trying to tell and you're only getting like you're only scratching the surface yeah so hopefully i can work on projects where i can kind of you know expand and tell the real story that should be there yeah i like that that was like part of my impetus in starting originate actually is because i wanted to tell more stories i didn't want it to be all like ski porn as we often say um but i found it actually really quite difficult to come up with those stories sometimes because really what i wanted to do is just go ski <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and i was like well what's the story okay let's tell a story about snowmobiles and <laughs> the- and, and that's that's a funny thing that's happened in ski movies like in the past many years that we did a lot did a lot more exotic traveling back in like the 2000s totally. or whatever and then we got to a point where all the skiers they kind of just knew they were going to get the best footage around the places they knew yeah like rather than spending a fortune to travel to all parts of the world and go find bony ass mountains yeah they're going to spend time in pemberton bc and yeah. sled on the days they know that that they're going to just pick off like the best shots they could possibly get right and so it, it's kind of ski movies have kind of gone these different you know different directions um i don't know where i was going with that but it's It's true though. It's less destination based. And I think of that too, like as an athlete from the athlete perspective, it is so nice to be able to sleep in your own bed and to cook for yourself Mm -hmm. and not be on the road. And we are like on the road so often that you get tired and you miss your family and you're making these sacrifices and and they often feel like these selfish sacrifices, but you're ultimately trying to get the best possible ski footage. And like this past year, like when I did my knee in uh, January, so all season I was dealing with like a pretty painful injury. Like my meniscus was torn and I was skiing on it and, and I said yes to a trip to Greece. And I went there with this dude, um, John Faulkner, who's 67 yeah, years yeah. old. Yeah, Clamming kids. Totally. Yeah, he was a pro skier in the 90s. Yeah. And uh, and I was like, well, this will be like kind of a recovery trip. Like I can chill. We're out here. We're moving slow. We were doing a bunch of qigong for anyone who's seen the segment in Warren Miller. It's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> do you know what qigong is? No. Well, it's his way of like moving and keeping his body in motion. And I really loved it because my body was in pain. So he just kind of taught me all these slow movements. It's like, um, I believe it comes from like a Chinese medicine, basically. It's not yoga, but you're in motion the whole time. You're not necessarily stretching, but it, it was like when we were cold, we just started doing Qigong. And then, of course, the cameras were on us. and Like, mm-hmm. it became a part of the segment. I was like, well, okay. <laughs> there it is. But uh, anyways, it was like, I, I really enjoyed it. And um, But going to Greece, I, like, didn't know that you could ski there. And I was like, well, this is, like, how older ski movies are. Like, more discovery yeah. and expedition style. I mean, we weren't on an expedition. But it was cool to go somewhere and just experience a culture for a change. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've gotten away from that. Yeah. And it's it's partly money. It's it's partly totally money. It's to- totally money, but also just the interest in a lot of skiers. Like yeah, we've, we've traveled the world. Now I just want to get good, good shots. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, and good shots. Like yeah. there's things that you can do to set yourself up for that. Mm-hmm. But I think too, like I don't know. I'm coming to this place in my career where I'm like, okay, like I mean, last year I had to face all. Like I had to face my biggest fear, of like. I legitimately again went into denial mode with my knee and I was like, there's no way that I just hurt my knee. Right. And kind of went through like a month of being like, it'll feel better. And it just didn't feel better. Yeah. It was 
freaking painful. Like every time I took a step, I could feel it. Every time I turned on that leg, I could feel it. But I went through this process of being like, whoa, I didn't know I was going to go out like this. Like, I guess my knee's done. And like, but I also in the back of my head was like, there's no way I'm getting another surgery. And then finally, when I like faced the fear and went in and got an MRI, I was like, oh, this is fixable. We're going to be fine. Right, But you didn't do that until when? In this summer. Yeah, this summer. So yeah. you went, you kind of played the denial role all through the yeah. the entire winter. Yeah. yeah. And like somehow managed to film and got some shots that I was psyched on, but ultimately was like really, I didn't talk about it with anyone because it was, I really thought that my ski career was ending in a weird way mm. and went through like a very emotional portion of the season of like, I would talk to Aaron about it, but that was pretty much it. Right. And being like, whoa, like, okay, I can't just hit, like, I hit all the side hits. I love hitting the side hits. And every time I'd be like, whoa, I can't do that anymore. But then, like, yeah, full circle. Now I feel like I can again. And, <laughs> so, and you got the skier of the year nomination. Yeah, somehow. At skiing at 60% or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's how badass you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's just this Again, will. let's turn this about you. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such an interesting thing to, like, face that thought of your career ending because you physically can't do it again. Right. Um, and But it was nice to work through that also. But it was, I think it was a healthy process to go through to then be in a new mental state of, like, I don't necessarily feel like I have to win best female segment anymore. Mm. Like I've done that. I'm so psyched on the contributions that I made and I still want to ski at a super high level, but I don't necessarily want to put that pressure on myself. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to injuries, like the year after all of those knee injuries are when I would win best female segment, which is so weird, but it was because I put less pressure on myself to perform. Yeah, true. Like no one has any expectations. Gaffney's the only one with expectations. That's like Hoji. <laughs> no. Yeah. One of our craziest filming days ever. Oh my gosh. Filming like two or three days. Yeah. Guys coming off a, a blown knee in 2012. Yeah. For Superheroes of Stoke. He's like, oh, I'll join you guys and maybe shoot a little bit. And it's Michelle, Logan, and Hoji. Yeah, Logan was just cutting and his Lo- teeth. Lo- Logan was 16, I think. Yeah. And coming out heli skiing with us. And Hoji just teed off. Everything like, started getting comfortable and it just kept <laughs> kept going footer, a level 60 higher. Footer, yeah. Sixty footer. It was like bam, With bam, bam, bam. landings. Yeah, that was insane. In, one, one of the most impressive displays of skiing I've ever seen. Me too, hands down. Hoji has always since then, since a long time ago, actually been one of my absolute favorite skiers. Yeah. But watching him then, because I was coming off my knee injury at that time too. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Then that's when, yeah, you got skier of the year. Totally. You were ripping that trip. Both of us. And we were yep. on the same trip together and just like, man, that energy was so good. And like, just started figuring it out again. And Hoji be like, oh yeah, that double goes, you got it, Michelle. I find so often it's other people's confidence in mm-hmm. myself, like you telling me you could do that. And I'm like, really? Okay, <laughs> I'll try it. <laughs> but that was cool. It's, it's amazing. That, that would be an interesting thing for a lot of viewers or listeners is the psyche of, of a lot of skiers out there who are absolute rippers who maybe aren't so confident. Like a guy I can think of as Henrik Winstead. Mm. He was always like, ah, I don't know. Like he, he wouldn't have this confidence up there. And then he'd just go slay a line without any hesitation or whatever and get to the bottom. Like, okay. <laughs> but but yeah. it's, it's kind of like, like you're saying, like it, it helps having someone else say to you, oh, you, you're going to kick ass with this. Yeah. And so often that is the filmer. Yep. Because they want to get the shot. <laughs> 
<laughs> maybe selfishly so, but it like really elevates people. No, I really it, appreciate it's, that. Yeah, I mean, you never want to. The worst thing to do is have someone get hurt out there. Yeah, and even worse than having someone get hurt is having a friend get hurt. Yeah. And that's that's a thing about these movies is you're always working with friends. And so you're kind of scared for them. But no, you're not scared for them because you know they're capable of doing what they're going to do. Yeah. And you know, there there are there's occasionally periods where someone's pushing it a little bit more. Yeah. And sometimes they'll speak up and sometimes you just hold it in like I don't think I don't think it's going to happen, but yeah. we'll see what happens. Right. And I've definitely done that before, and and usually people nail it. But um, what what's like the wildest situation you've been been a part of in the mountains while filming? Uh, wildest. It's it's hard to say over a huge career. We had a really weird incident filming Days of My Youth. Uh, several that was in two thousand fourteen, two thousand thirteen. We were up in Seward, Alaska. And we had, Cody had already gotten hurt. Cody Townsend tweaked his knee really badly and was done for the trip. And we just had Richard Perman and Marcus Hader. And right before we got to this one peak, we had a Cineflex ship. Like this was, this was back big budget times. And Mm -hmm. we had a Cineflex heli and then a regular, or heli with all the athletes moving around. And the Cineflex heli had some, something happened with the camera where it wigged out and they had to go on in and leave and we're setting up to shoot this line of Richard Perman and he dropped in and set off probably the worst slide I've seen. It wasn't huge, but he went right into a rock wall and slammed off this rock wall. Mm. And then, and he probably, it probably ran like 800 feet, maybe 800 vert. And he was partially buried at the bottom and I was the closest to him and I was still a long ways away. I, I swear I, I turned my camera off. I thought I turned my camera off. And then I raced over to him, dug him out, and he was shaken. Uh, it, it was, it was kind of a crazy scene. He was, he was like really stunned and almost shocky. Um, no problems breathing, but he banged himself up against that rock wall pretty bad. Mm-hmm. But anyways, afterwards, like my camera somehow didn't record no way. the shot. Like there was, there was a file name but there was no information in there in oh, the camera. Whoa. And there were like seven shots where they had all these file names, but none of the shots were there. No way. Until I got, went back to my camera and got a shot of Marcus Ader hiking to Richard Ski. Yeah. But, uh, and then Perman's GoPro also freaked out. Whoa. And only one camera partially got the shot. But out of three cameras or four cameras in total that were there that should have captured it. Only one partially got the shot, but it didn't even get him going down in the slide afterwards. Weird. Which was, it was, it was kind of freaky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) how many shots have you missed and then played off? Like you nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) None. Yeah. I don't miss shots. (laughs) Yeah. No, uh, I, I really don't miss many. I, I think that's that's one thing that I could put on my resume. Doesn't miss <laughs> like, many. Doesn't miss many shots. <laughs> yeah. Um, are there any of you that I've missed? That, Not that I think can of think of. No, no. But I just remember like back when we shot on film, I would go home and write the oh, shots right? that I got yeah. just to be like, hey, I remember on this day we did this. 
and uh, but I would record it because I was really like really wanted to make sure that yeah. we got those. That was awesome. That's that's cool that people would do that. Like there are some people who have that mind and totally want to uh, accrue those shots. Yeah. And there are others that almost don't care at all. Yeah. Like a Logan Peota. Yeah. He he doesn't like pay any attention to how his segment's going to come together. Really. I mean, he probably does when he's out there. Like, I want to get this trick and this trick and this trick. Yeah. But he doesn't register anything. He doesn't care afterwards. Like, where did that shot go or whatever? He's just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. You made my seg segment. Thanks. Yeah, totally. But yeah, I don't, I don't miss too many. Like, I, I, I miss few enough that it stands out if I did miss one. I remember I was shooting with a local kid, Xander Goldman, here for Drop Everything. And we're shooting a... It was squat at the time shooting this segment and uh he did pony express which hadn't been done in years but i didn't get a radio count at the top or the oh, radios no. didn't work and i was like talking to someone and then saw him skiing out the bottom and it's a line that hadn't been done in forever oh my gosh and i was like xander i missed a shot <laughs> and uh he said that's okay i'll go do it again sick and i was like yeah <laughs> that's the yeah. kind of guy we need totally that's but gotta be nerve wracking though. It is pretty nerve wracking. You're like, oh, you feel like there are times when you may might miss the start of the shot or someone comes in a frame in a weird place that you didn't think they were coming in. That that does happen more often than you think. Uh but then they'll crash or flail a little bit and you're like, phew. Yeah. <laughs> they saved that <laughs> like, one from me. <laughs> thank God that wasn't an all-time shot because I missed part of it. Yeah, totally. That's gotta be so nerve wracking. There was times though, I remember being out there with you with where I think we were filming with Sammy and we were in this pillow zone and it was like above my pay grade, the pillows. And, and I love gotten, you, you handed me the camera, but you guys would always put me on the really tight shots. <laughs> which, I'm which, like, this is so hard. Did I really? Yeah. That's probably not the way to go. <laughs> yeah. I remember trying to oh, track although, them. You know what it is, is that like in pillow zones, the tight shot is one you're probably not going to use. Oh, you want so the wider the shot, shot to really appreciate it. So I yeah. give you the B shot. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. Harder. It's definitely harder. Yeah. So hard. I yeah. was like, oh my gosh. So I never told anyone if I got it or not. Felt low <laughs> pressure, but I was trying really hard. <laughs> you see a lot of that these days in movies where um, like a guide or something might be actually shooting the shot. Oh, because yeah. a lot of the filmers are droning. Yeah. So they set up the camera, then they have a guide shoot it, and they go kink, 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 like the yeah. the pan is just all all over the place. <laughs> totally. Maybe they take their eye off the screen, they're looking out in real life, and then realize the person's not in the frame anymore. Yeah. Well, it is interesting, like, that just goes back to, like, we don't have enough cinematographers out there in the field, and that comes back to the budget of the movie. Yeah. And, and there was a heyday, for sure. You spoke about it a little bit, of, like, when budgets were fat. And now it doesn't really seem like the budgets are as fat as they used to be. Do you feel yeah. that with Matchstick? Oh, like for sure. Um, I would say the heyday was like in the early 2000s, probably where we were traveling everywhere. We had, you know, multiple camera people on scene and it, it just seemed like there was almost no limit. We had helis everywhere. We don't use helis that much anymore. Yeah. Like, and it, it, you know, I think it's frowned upon a lot more because people want to see, um, a lot more self-propelled access, but it's also just a case of budgeting. You know, it's, yeah. it's, uh, I mean, we're, we are trying to be better, uh, and, and have less of a footprint, but we still use helis from time to time, but it's not nearly as much. And yeah. a lot of it's on account of money Yeah, because it's freaking expensive and it's really hard as a filmer and to find filmers who want to film human powered adventures. Yeah. 
Like that is really difficult actually. Yeah. A conundrum that I feel like I'm faced with often because I would prefer to walk everywhere right. over the use of helicopters or snowmobiles, but it is just, it's a much more difficult task. Yeah. Yeah. And you just, I mean, you get way, way less footage. Yeah. But you get a lot cooler footage. But then that comes down to the whole story thing, too, is like you want to create a story around that. And I, I, don't know, I could go on for forever about the way things work, but that's what I need to. <laughs> so talking about skiing, though, for the last, I don't know how many years, you've made a self-edit. At the end of the, <laughs> at the, in the fall, after Match Day comes out, there's the Scott Gaffney edit is going to drop, and we're all waiting patiently <laughs> we for are. it. Yes, who's, all of us. We? Me and everyone else. <laughs> Um, and so like you, you, you want to see a guy over 50 <laughs> yeah. jumping off stuff. Do you mind me asking how old you are? Uh, I just turned 54 two days 54. ago. 54. When yeah. was your last backflip? Uh, like on dry ground or something? No, uh, like, well, yeah. Okay. So Gaffney tram- does we dry took a ground. We down recently and I, I was doing backies and yes. flat spins out there. Yeah. Trying to get a few in. I had a hurt knee most of the year and I couldn't spend much time on it most yeah. of the summer. But you did sucked. backflips last year. Oh yeah, I was doing a bunch of backflips. Yeah, I I've, I love backflips. Yeah, <laughs> I have a very uh, very limited repertoire as far as freestyle. Yeah, backflips are the one thing that's pretty damn easy. I think I could also credit you with like continually continuously pushing me to like stay in the park and still have those tricks and do those tricks. Because you liked that well-roundedness, and yeah, you'd be like, huge. we're going to film in the park. And I'm like, oh, man, I thought I retired from that. And then we'd get out there, like and it was so fun. Yeah, year? totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a long, long time ago. But you still, you were, you were throwing threes, and I wasn't filming you in Whistler uh, a couple years ago. Yep, I still try to go out and do some tricks here and there for sure. Because I love it. It is super fun. I yeah. feel like the three is the back pocket. Like, we got this all day. That's fine. Um, but I remember, like, yeah, I don't know if I've lost the five or not. I haven't done a five in a long time. All right. You, the first time I filmed back. you, you were doing big fives. Yeah, was I loved a pretty big that. jump on the mountain. Big old floaty. You could yeah. do like the revert too in the middle. Not revert, but like the shifty. The shifty, the, the rewind back yeah. in the time. Yeah, exactly. But uh. self-edits. Yeah, I just, I, I get my days in and I like just putting something together. And it's not a case of, I mean, I guess maybe there's a little ego. I, I don't want to be forgotten. You know, but I, I, I have fun. And I, I think more so for me, it's, it's something that I can have years from now and, yeah. and look back on this sequence of, you know, little GoPro edits, whatever. No one ever films me except with their iPhone. Yeah. So, um, I'll go film you. I feel like I owe you. <laughs> you just give me your camera and give me that tight shot. I'll nail it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's out of frame. Yeah. Whoops. Oh, he fell. Okay. That's good. Um, <laughs> no, it's just, it's just good times. It is super good times. But I love it. I like to still push myself. I haven't grown up in my skiing. Mm-hmm. I haven't matured. Like I watch everyone, everyone I've grown up with skiing matures to a different plane of like you, even like all the backcountry. uh, stuff you've done and, and all the big descents you've done and all the time you spend down in the Eastern Sierra or wherever it might be. Like everyone goes through this process of they do this hucking or whatever, you know, and just skiing fast lines at, at their local mountain and then move on. And I haven't grown out of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. It's, it's still something for me where my favorite part of skiing is to sit quote Shane with the old saying, 
just ski down there and jump off and something for crying out loud. <laughs> There's nothing more fun for me. Even if it's lines I've done a hundred times. Yeah. I like going down and jumping off of stuff. Yeah. Or skiing steep little quick lines. Like things that are kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. But quick. Yeah. You know, you're only in danger for like a split second, then you're out of it. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's bizarre that I don't grow out of that. Yeah. It's interesting. You use the word mature where I've always used the word evolve. Yeah. And I think like something that's kept me like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I also love skiing down something and jumping off of it. Um, and like skiing at the resort, especially on the days where we get to go out and we're just chasing each other. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this is such a good energy. And you feel like you're connected at this rope and you're racing because I know if you get down there and I'm not there, you're not going to wait for me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but like, I've always thought of it as like, the more I learn, the more opportunities open up in the mountains. And then it's kept me really fascinated in the sport for so long. But if I wasn't doing all of that stuff too, I probably would be just like you as well. Like, but it's, it, yeah, you like get as an athlete, you have all these opportunities to go all these different directions. And if you take them, you learn more and then the mountain opens up even more, which can be really exciting and honestly really scary too. Yeah. I guess, I guess, uh, I don't feel the need as much. Like I used to do a lot more exploring when I was younger Mm. than I do now, which I like I look at myself as being kind of weird and, and I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm a very ordinary person, but in my arc of my ski career, I'm a little weird. Mm-hmm. Well, we not, appreciate it. It's not, I'm trying to be badass or anything and be, be the old guy who's still trying to send. It's just, I'm not so fulfilled by going and skiing a 25 degree powder run, even if it's a really long, really good feeling powder run. I'll enjoy it. 25 degrees though. That's pretty flat. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's say 35 degrees. That's yeah. Great pal. Yeah. Like I'm not going to, I, I might hoot and holler a couple times, but then I'll get to, I'll, like, I'll be are done. They and I'll be sympathy like, hoot and hollers though. You're like, woohoo. <laughs> this is fun guys. Right. We're Everyone having fun. Everyone else is having the time of their lives. And I'm, just, I'm just going down the mountain. No, I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy it for sure, but I'm not fulfilled. But you add a couple of airs in that 35 degree long powder run. And those airs are the highlights for me. Oh, and yeah. I, I don't consider myself an adrenaline junkie or a thrill seeker by any means. But it's just one of those things. Like if I go out surfing, I don't want the biggest wave. But I end up sitting out there looking for that biggest wave because that's what ends up giving you the best time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and... uh so there's just something about jumping off things and getting upside down. Yeah. It's just a lot of fun. Well, us fans really appreciate it. So thank you. Us Never fans. stop. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm a fan. But one time I do remember <laughs> you pulling up into the Siberia lift line and you had one oh, no. GoPro facing forward and then one GoPro mounted facing backwards. And it was just a joy to see. <laughs> oh, you got such a kick out of that. I really did. You made fun of me on social media. I think. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if even Instagram existed yet. Yeah, who knows? Those are the days with that. But I got good shots of Timmy that day. Yeah, And I got shots of you. Like lead cam and stuff? Lead cam. Yeah. I mean, now people use a 360 cam and get everything. Right. But I still do the GoPro in front. Two GoPros. One facing back. (laughs) That's awesome. It's like Forrest Gump. You know, see where you're going, see where you've been. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Did you get to film with Timmy Dutton much? Uh, One movie. Um. The way I see it, we shot with him in Tahoe here. Yep. I skied with him more than I filmed with him. 
Yeah. Awesome. But what a, what a talent. What a gym. Yeah. This is one of Michelle's best friends. Yeah. Back in the day who died in a skydiving accident in 2012, um, 13. Yeah. Something around then. Yeah. 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 Rubber ducky. We used to call him. He was a gym. Truly did not care what other people thought about him. I was always so surprised yeah. by that. Like more than anyone. What a gym. Um, okay. But your wife just walked in and she did mention the Eagle's Nest. And while you say you're not an adrenaline junkie, the Eagle's Nest is a high stakes line. It's a high stakes line that I've, I've, do we have to go there? We don't have uh, to if you don't want to. No, no, I, I, I don't have a problem with it. I just posted something on YouTube. Um, it had gotten too much attention when I got hurt last April. Uh-huh. And yeah, the news outlets went. And, and, yeah, I edited something real quick and, and then all this pipe blew up like Scott Gaffney has horrendous crash and whatever. I'm like, <laughs> this is uncomfortable. And then so I just sat on it for a long time. And I was like, some people might find this interesting. So I ended up posting it. Yeah. But anyway, uh, where were we? I was, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a high stakes line, but I've skied it, I think, a dozen times prior to that. And I'd been eyeing it up. It's it's like low 60s degrees and very rocky with a good size exit cliff. And so there's quite a bit of exposure, but I've never had a problem on it. I've, I've had some times when it absolutely sucked. Yeah. And I've skied it a lot of times. I've never skied it when it was fantastic. Okay. And the day that I was going to ski it, it I, I've been watching fantastic. it for a week and it looked fantastic. I it was couldn't fluted. agree more. It was spring snow. It should have been... Like uh, the rest of the mountain in the days prior had had this real dense pace to it that was yeah. really supportive. And so I thought it was going to be phenomenal. And I thought it was going to be the best I'd ever skied it. Yeah. And it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I nailed some rocks, lost a ski. Uh, I don't know if you saw the summer shot I took of that rock, but there's like this fang of rock. I that did. probably took my ski and yeah. took a good chunk out of my arm too. Oh. And I went tumbling and... Uh, it was one of those accidents where you you see so many crashes like in free ride world free ride world tour or in in movies or whatever where someone just goes like cartwheeling through rocks and they don't touch anything. Yeah. And so I'm I'm falling and can't see anything and I'm thinking I'm just going to land in the powder below. Yeah. And it's going to be like one of those crashes where guy just miraculously escapes. And I nailed this rock harder than I've ever been hit before. Yeah. Right in my right in my back scapula and so and i tumbled down into the trees down at the bottom fortunately didn't get pinned up against any of the trees because the slough kept going and took me quite a ways down into the trees which you always wonder how far would you fall well you end up falling into those trees because that's what i did but uh broke my scapula collapsed a lung and banged up this arm quite a bit which is still numb yeah but it was a good good beating yeah no kidding no stranger to injuries and recovery yeah yeah, I've been broken head to toe, but that was definitely the hardest I've ever been. Really? Just absolutely hammered. Like, mm. It was a blow. And I got to the bottom, I was like, I'm okay. And I was like, I can't breathe. <laughs> it's funny how your first reaction is, I'm good, I'm good, yeah. totally good. Well, it was just the type of thing where like, no spinal injury, Yeah. no head injury. Yeah, like, right. That's fine. That's Those are the critical things. Yeah. Never mind the lung that's that's collapsing or whatever. Yeah. It wasn't collapsing that much at the time, but yeah, you know, it was, it was on its way. Yeah. Brutal. Well, I, I'd certainly appreciate the fact that you still are out there 
skiing down stuff and jumping off of stuff. I keep misquoting that. But, <laughs> but it's ski down like, there and jump off of something yeah. for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah. That's the actual line. Yeah. It makes me so psyched and it makes me always feel like I have so much to look forward to. Like it doesn't make me fear getting older. I'm like, look at Gaffney. He's doing the thing. And I feel good that like I get a lot of comments like that, but there are people that inspire me too. Like in, in days of my youth, I shot this guy, uh, Mike Legay, who, um, what do people call him? Uh, Mad Mike? Rad Dad. Rad Dad. Rad Dad. And he skis around the mountain here and, and he's skiing park at 55 years old and hitting all the rails and throwing switchbackies. Wow. Like I saw him, he was 55 throwing switchbackies. And when I was like 48 or something, I did my first switchbacky. Wow. Because I was like, Mike's doing it at 55. I should be able to do it at 48. That's so awesome. And so, yeah. And Kelly Slater, I know, is a huge influence for you, huh? A lot of, yeah, Kelly Slater is, you know, anyone who doesn't convey, doesn't subscribe to the normal growth of you're supposed to be moving on. Uh, yeah. Anyone who keeps doing things for the love of it and keeps pushing themselves, I really look up to. Yeah. And so if people can look up to me for that, you know, I'm... But I'm not pushing myself. I don't do maybes anymore. Like maybe Eagle's Nest or McConkie's is kind of a maybe. But when I look down lines, I'm like, I can get to there. Yeah. And and be fine. Yeah. Like maybe sometimes you're going to risk a cartwheel or something like that. But I'm not doing anything death-defying. Yeah. Or, or what you'd consider really all that dangerous at my comfort level. Yeah. And my ability. Like I've done so many things so many times. These days, I just look for steeper landings. Yeah. I think there's a math equation where over 20 feet and over the age of 35, you have to have a landing that's as steep as your age. <laughs> that's so, perfect. Although at being 54 years old, it's really hard to find a 54 degree landing these days. I but like But you're this. 35? 35. 35. So over 30. 20 feet, you want a 35 degree landing. Yeah, fair. If it's 30, that's getting a little flat for you. <laughs> Okay, I like this. That's my math. It's, yeah. it's very simple. I need 35 degrees or more. 35 is still pretty flat. It is, but that's 20 feet. If you're but going I can higher than it. that, you can handle it. Okay, anything over 20 feet. I into need... into kind of power snow. Yeah. You know? Pow-ish. <laughs> I really like that. That's a good hot tip. <laughs> um, wow, I feel like we've flown through a lot. Is there anything you think we're missing? No. Let's talk more about you. No, I feel like I injected <laughs> so many personal stories into this one, but we were just riffing. That's good, though. We we have that relationship where yeah. we've worked a long time together and fed off each other in one way or another. Or Yeah. Yeah, it's good like that. So I do like to give my guests an opportunity to look back or even in the present moment. I feel like we often skip over a lot of these uh, monumental moments where we should be really proud of ourselves and we move on to the next thing and we finish something and we just move on and we don't celebrate it. So I just want to give you an opportunity to talk about something. It can be a brag of like something you're really proud of. Something I'm really proud of. I can think of a lot <laughs> that I'm proud of you for. <laughs> can you give me any hints? <laughs> can I buy a vowel? Yeah. <laughs> Can we do it in a wordle form? Yeah, totally. Can you give me a couple letters and I try to get the rest of it. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe the McConkie movie. Yeah. I was quite proud of. 
I, I think celebrating Shane with a world outside of skiing yeah. was pretty damn cool. Absolutely. And, and how that touched people who have never watched skiing or who knew nothing of his story. Um, yeah, that was rad. I, I, I think a lot of people know me for NAR, <laughs> which is bizarre. Um, I'm, I'm kind of proud of how that came out though. Like I actually didn't even film any of that movie. Yeah. Uh, my name's in there. Yeah. You know, rightfully so. G is for the Gaffney's numerical assessment of radness, but they basically, those guys shot it all and then handed me all these DV tapes and like, what are we going to do with this? And so there was no construction. So it was basically, and I think that's kind of where I excel is almost turning, turning very little into something that's a lot more. Yeah. And uh, I think I was able to do that with NAR. I think it was a pretty damn cool movie. I agree. Um, and all it was was a bunch of random footage. Yeah. Except for like their scenes that they had with my brother in the judge's costume and, and the whole, there, there's all kinds of things that they did actually really cool, really fun in the, in the making of it. But just finding construction out of all of it. Yeah. And finding a story. Yeah. That's awesome. Thought that worked pretty well. Um, what else? You got anything? For you to be proud of? Yeah. I think you should be proud of your legacy. I think you should be proud of what you've given us. Because it's a whole hell of a lot. And you've inspired so many incredible people to do what we do now. And you've inspired Joe Schmo off the, you know, just anybody. Like, you've done a lot for our industry, and I thank you for that. I am super proud of you for that. Well, thank you. you got a good look in your face right now. Yeah, because like, <laughs> I'm getting all passionate about it. You know, I, it. uh, I, it's weird hearing stuff like that. Like, Greg Stump and Scott Schmidt inspired me to do what I'm doing. And, and you're I, the modern-day Greg years. Stump. And hearing people say things to me just like I would say about Greg Stump and Scott Schmidt is, is pretty bizarre. And yeah. it's weird to, it's weird to take that like, Oh, I mean that much to that person, but people have said some really cool things. Yeah. And I mentioned to you that it was making me tear up the other day. Yeah. Like after I'd made this post that I'm leaving MSP and, and not making a ski movie, like there was so much, so many heartfelt messages Yeah. that made me feel really good. And when you, it's it's weird that with a ski movie you can dictate the course of someone's life or shape it in a certain way. Well, you're um, living proof of that. I am living proof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I am here doing what I've been doing for 30 years because of Greg Stump and Scott Schmidt. Yeah. And Kevin Andrews and, and Mike Hatrip and all those skiers that made me come here and and live this life. And I know people who've I've I've had plenty of people who tell me that they've done the same thing because of me. Yeah. And, and that's rad. And even people like Kip Gar, who died in 2014, um, he had told me before he died, he's like, I'm living here because of your movies. Mm -hmm. And I got to put him in a movie, you know, a, yeah. a couple times. And so, so cool. It's, it's rad seeing the cycle and being part of that cycle. And it's just going to be a cycle that just continues as long as we have snow and skiers who are inspired and inspiring. Yeah. So anybody who's looking for an incredible cinematographer, call Scott Gaffney. 
Yes. I need <laughs> <Yes>. work. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure this is going to evolve into something beautiful and I look forward to following it along. Do you have anyone that you want to thank? I want to thank my parents. I want to thank my in-laws. I want to thank my wife and kids. I want to thank you and all the athletes that I've worked with over the years. I, that's one of the most amazing things about this job that I've had is, and that span this long, like I, I feel like making a post of just tagging all the skiers I've worked with because right? it's an insane amount of talent Yeah, and people who have had the most illustrious careers and have gone on after, after their ski careers to do amazing things. And, and like, I've, I, I couldn't be more thankful to have worked with such amazing people. Yeah. Well, I'm sure each and every one of us thanks you in return for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Getting all sappy. Um, just like top of mind, is there any one line that you filmed that absolutely stands out to you? Cody Townsend's oh, the crack line. Yes. Yep. Um, that makes sense. Ingrid's first line on uh, Harrison Motel line in BC in her yearbook segment okay. always stands out. And that's a shot I totally missed. But that wasn't my fault. That was Ingrid skiing way too fast. <laughs> and the helicopter pilot had no expectations of that. Yeah. And I had no expectations of that. And you were doors off. And she off. was just gone. Fortunately, we had a ground angle. We were doors off, but it was like two turns and... Yeah. Like, oh my God. Gone. Where'd she go? That's awesome. <laughs> Who's your favorite skier? That is a really hard one. It's you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, but I know that's not true. No. Who is it? Uh, oh my God. With all the people I've worked with? Yeah. Um, if I'm going to throw... Oh. I know it's a tough and loaded question. Marcus Ader might be one of the... One yep. of my favorites. Yep. As far as a fun human being who's uber talented, but that's opening a can of worms because I can just Rattle keep on off. going. Yeah. I yeah. could go on forever. Yeah. Favorite skier, obviously Shane. Yeah. You know, in my total career, for sure, Shane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it depends what era we're talking and Totally. They're just Things too evolve. Many. Yeah. Like hundreds. Yeah. When you, when you think of our movies, it's hundreds of really talented skiers yep. that I've worked with over the years. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. We did it. We did it. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. And that's a wrap. <laughs>